Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where normally we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach, but this week we have a special guest. You may know him from uh, Wolverine or X-Force or uh, Ghost Rider, which is not out yet, but will be coming out soon. Uh, and also the X lives and ten or ten lives and X deaths of Wolverine. We got it wrong the very first time. We <laughs> we got tried. It just out of the gate. It's Ben Percy. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. We're we're very excited to have you on. We're going to do the uh, the you know necessary acknowledgement of wow, that's really your voice. That's that sure is something. I eat monsters every day for breakfast. <laughs> uh, well, Somebody we appreciate you being here. Me. I didn't know the witness, the voice of the witness protection program was an actual dude. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But if you think this is deep, you think this is deep, you should hear my grandma. <laughs> do you get do you get tired of people being constantly shocked by your voice at this point? Like you've been you've been a public person as far as comic book people are public people for some time now. You'd think people yeah. would be used to it. No, it's kind of it's like being really tall. You know, if somebody's really tall, they're like, whoa, do you play basketball? <laughs> yeah, you know, when I, like, order a Coke on an airplane or, uh, you know, talk to the person at the cash register at the grocery store, they go, are you on the radio? <laughs> I just crack a few jokes. No, it's fine. It's a great voice for podcasts. I'll tell you what. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, we wanted to bring in your obviously helping kick off the second Krakoan era uh, with, you know, X, 10 lives, X deaths of Wolverine. Uh, yeah. But we, we want to talk about some of the stuff you've been doing before that. Sure. Uh, I think the first thing we're looking at is your X-Force book. Uh, you're juggling a pretty big cast there. Uh, you've got... I think the first cover had eight different people on it and you've been bringing supporting players in and out antagonists, all that stuff. How do you approach handling a cast of that size, especially when you're trying to, you know, give everyone a bit of a moment in the sun, a little bit of plot development, a little bit of character development, trying to further each of those individual stories when you've only got 20 pages a month. It's a tricky thing. And I think that when, people approach team books and try to crush everybody in to try to make everybody a, a star all at once, uh, you thin out the characterization. And so I try to approach it. And if you've read my Teen Titans run, you know, I was doing the same thing there. I try to approach it as a kind of turnstile instead, where almost every issue has a lead, right? It's a team book, but there's a lead. Mm -hmm. And and I'd say that there's two leads, in fact. There is the A-plot lead, and then there's the B-plot lead. And they're thematically united. Uh, and I know that comics fans aren't always, like, super into the thematics. Like, you know, they want the awesome fight. Uh, <laughs> and, and they want explosions. And and they want, you know, Batman crashing through a window with, with mist pellets, you know, 
steaming the air and Wolverine snicked in his claws and hacking and slashing and everything else. And, you know, you, you, you want to acknowledge that you want to, you want to get those people geeked and, and get them out of their chairs shouting with excitement. But to me, like I'm trying to bring, I guess, a, a nerdy literary sensibility to this all as well. And so, you know, I, I, I approach it where, okay, this is a, uh, beast story and we're going to have beast as our narrator and, and maybe the B plot involves black Tom and, and they're going to be wrestling with two, the same things emotionally, uh, or metaphorically. And, and, and then there'll be some sort of synthesis toward the end where you see how each one maybe doesn't resolve completely, but you know, there might be like a handoff, like this one part concludes and, and pivots into another, another storyline to follow. And so if you track your way back through X-Force, I'm doing this the entire time, you know, with the focus, for instance, on Domino up front, uh, you know, soon I'm mapping out right now a, a Sage storyline that, uh, you know, has to do with the, the drinking problem that I've hinted at several times now. And, and uh, you know, sometimes Kid Omega, Kid Omega swings into focus as he did. Uh, I've lost track of time. I don't. I he, was, just, he was the B plot in the last issue that has come out at the time. Yeah. yeah but but yeah. he did have his own like three issues. Yeah. He, he had the arc. Yeah, three uh, issue yeah. arc. Yeah. 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 And I think that, that was earlier this year, but again, mm-hmm. time is slippery. Who can tell anymore? <laughs> Who it's tough, you know. Yeah. When you're... So, anyways, that's that's my, my approach. And, and I want. You know, towards the end of my run, which is not in sight right now, but I know exactly how I'll end it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's going to be uh, a rise, a crescendo, let's say, for every one of these characters. And I know where I wanted them to go when I began the story. Hmm. And I say that not just when it comes to plot pieces, moving narrative around. I mean, emotionally, where I want them to end up in. And, and it's not just like they move from point A to point Z. I want my character to like move here and then go way over to the left and maybe retract a little bit and then push forward beyond where they were. Hmm. You know, you can see some of those things going on right now just to reference Kid Omega again. Mm-hmm. This big change. He's in a state of like what's going on right now because of the Phoebe situation. Is he going to regress? Is he going to move forward? You know, and, and, and I'm, I'm throwing a wrench into emotional progress, but he's going to, I think, end up in a place that is that nobody can actually anticipate. Hmm. So, cool. So anyway, that's that's, uh, you know, the way I approach writing, writing a team book uh, as as a turnstile effect. Nice. Now, in, in contrast, you are simultaneously writing the Wolverine solo book. Um you know, we know that you absolutely love this character. Um, how do you feel like you're utilizing Wolverine differently in X-Force than you do with him as a solo character? So when I pitched X-Force, it was as the CIA of the mutant nation. Krakoa is the mutant nation. Mm-hmm. X-Force is the CIA and moral ambiguity, moral complication was going to be the bedrock of the series. Uh, There are two units to X-Force. There is the head and there is the fist, as Xavier said from the very beginning. Beast is the head 
Wolverine is the fist. They are the bosses, right, of the series. Uh, Wolverine runs the wet work unit, the field ops. Beast runs the office, intelligence, analysis. Uh, and these two are both allied and on a collision course. You know, mm. there's like uh, steadily widening cleavage between Beast and Wolverine, between Beast really and everyone else. Are you saying that actions right actions may at some point have <laughs> consequences? Like I said, I know exactly what everybody's story is. I know how everybody's story concludes. And, and Beast, Beast was, you know, probably the principal. When it comes to X-Force, Beast has the principal emotional arc. Mm. I do love that Beast is basically a villain at this point. You know, I, I'm waiting for the full heel turn, but I, I don't... I don't know if we'll, we'll ever get quite there, but I like I mean, the trajectory. You can't, run, you can't run the CAA and not be <laughs> shady business. They, yeah. They aren't, they aren't well known for their simplistic morals and, you know, always, always making the choice that everyone would want to. You know, I, I talk about sometimes this one short story by Ursula K. Le Guin mm-hmm. as being influential to me when thinking about Krakoa when thinking about X-Force. So the ones who walk away from Mama Loss, uh, the short story by Ursula K. Le Guin, it's about this city by the sea. And the sun always seems to be shining and the pennants always seem to be snapping in the salt breeze. And the gardens are lush and the streets are often filled with people parading along. And there's the, you know, shimmer of gong and tambourine and there's there's ponies prancing in meadows, and it's it's just perfect, perfect, at a glance. But then at the very center of the story, she asks a question. It's the exact center of the story. And the question is, do you believe? And if you don't, uh, until in the second half of the story, she takes you into the basement of one of these buildings, these beautiful buildings. And in the basement, there's a child locked mm-hmm. up in a closet. And every now and then somebody goes into this closet and stares at the child or admonishes them or kicks them. And the child is feeble. The child is starved. The child is covered in sores. Uh, And the city can't survive without the child being in that position. And that's, you know, the story of life in many ways. And it's the story of utilitarianism, which is the principal ideology of beast. The greatest good for the greatest number of mutants, no matter who has to suffer because of that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's his code. You know, he wants what's best for Krakoa, but he's poisoned by hubris and he makes very terrible decisions and dark decisions on, on the nation's behalf. And, and every now and then, and this is the conclusion of that story by Ursula K. Le Guin, Every once in a while, somebody learns about that child in the basement and they walk away. Because mm. they want they want the perfect world, you know? It, well, they, it's a very sad abide, story. You can't abide by it. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's tough. Oh, it's, man. It's, it's interesting. I think at the... I think very intentionally when Krakoa was conceived, 
you know, it was, it was positioned as, you know, maybe you were unsure about what was going on in the first few issues when it was introduced, but then everything turns around, you get, Hey, it's resurrection. It's life. This is a win for everybody. This is a good thing. Yeah. And I think it swung really hard in that direction. I think it's very interesting as books like X-Force have opened up and said, well, hold on. This may yeah. be. I mean, maybe good. other books were saying that my books weren't. <laughs> X Force was pretty clearly from the start. Hey, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do some bad stuff uh, to keep yeah. this up. But I think it's very and Wolverine. Wolverine from the very beginning, he's like he's not so sure about crack. He does <laughs> yell at a tree more than once in that series. <laughs> he yells at the tree. He 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 won't drink the Kool Aid as he puts it. It's it's interesting. Now speaking of your Wolverine, I think one of the biggest additions to Wolverine as a to use a very crass term, as an IP, as a franchise, uh, has been your addition of the character of Solemn uh, sure. to the Rogues Gallery. Uh, first introduced in Ten of Swords, and then has been in a couple of different arcs since. Uh, you've described him as Wolverine's Loki. Uh, with that in mind, how upset were you when you learned that Sabretooth existed? <laughs> hey, Sabretooth is coming. But Sabretooth is a dark mirror of Wolverine. Mm -hmm. You know, he's essentially evil Wolverine. Mm -hmm. Solemn's the guy who, you know, just wants to fuck. Solemn <laughs> is, you know, uh, his primary purpose is pleasure. Uh, he could end any fight he's in, but he'd rather avoid it. Mm -hmm. He dodges it altogether. Uh, you know, and he, he pleasures in manipulation and deception. That's part of his game. So Sabretooth, you know, he's he's like the the monster that's caged inside of Wolverine that sometimes gets out. Mm. Whereas, you know, Solemn, even though he has some mirroring qualities, including, you know, the way in which his skin is sleeved in adamantium, including the way that he was sort of traumatized when younger and brought into the unwilling employ of another despite those factors you know solemn is his own man uh and 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 Sabretooth is somebody who of course i'm going to write about mm -hmm. but uh you know that's the long game yeah we got we got we got to get through that victor the bell series first <laughs> yeah. and that series kicks ass by the way Ooh, listen right. listen i have for a long time he is a brilliant storyteller. And, uh, you know, when I first heard his pitch for this series, I was, I was knocked out. It was such a good idea. Oh, cool. I've, I've said this elsewhere, and I'm, I, am, I am one of the, you know, terrible people who took a little bit of a break between reading books without pictures for, like, a few years, got back into it. I picked up uh, Big Machine by Victor Lavelle, uh, yeah. read it. Uh, on a flight uh, was on my way through. I was hooked in a hundred pages in, he drops the word spiritual X-Men. And I said, Oh no, he has me. Yeah, he's <laughs> it, he's it, it was like, no, he already had me. And then he, he just dug, dug in the closet. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic writer. Very excited. And uh, I really what's coming check through. out, you know, if you're interested in his work, anybody who's out there listening, just, I really recommend that you pick up the changeling. Mm. This urban fairy tale. Um, has one of the most horrifying scenes I've ever read Ooh. in literature in it. Ooh. So I have, I have <laughs> not gotten to that. I've gotten, I've gotten through, uh, I say gotten through like it's a 
challenge. I've I've finished uh, Big Machine. I finished the Ballad of Black Tom. I have uh, what the Devil in Silver is the next one on just my list of things to do. But he essentially got me. Like I read the first one, I was like, oh no, I I have to read all of this now. I have to read his entire bibliography. Uh, and the nice thing about you know Victor now being part of the X Group is you know we go we go way back, and it's so much fun just being able to be part of these zoom chats with him now with the whole crew <laughs> and to work in tandem as we plan something together. That's, that's exciting to, uh, that's exciting to hear. Um, just if I can hop back to, uh, to solemn for a second, what do you think yeah. that solemn adds to, uh, the stories you're telling with Wolverine that maybe hasn't existed before? Does it present a, a new twist, uh, for Wolverine that he hasn't experienced? Uh, well, there's a playfulness to those stories, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that one arc that I wrote um, in which Solemn, you know, is, is, is double and triple and quadruple crossing everybody. With the pirates so, and the jet ski jousting. Yeah, yeah, the one I worked on with Adam. Um, <laughs> you know, from the beginning, I was going to... I propose we call it the unusual suspects <laughs> and just the way in which this interrogation uh, that Wolverine, you know, is kind of like a dark detective, this interrogation series of interrogations that underway as he like finds this person and throttles them and finds that person and throttles and finds this person and corners them and tries to figure out this and that. So he follows these clues and everybody's head is spinning, you know, so many times over that your neck snaps and, and, the idea behind that story is that there's just like a, I, I, we set it up from the very beginning uh, where he's Wolverine is walking through Madripoor and there's a shell game going on mm. and he's watching the shell game. And that, that says everything about Solemn right there. You know, he's playing a shell game with Wolverine and Wolverine has to use his brain, right? Solemn, mm-hmm. somebody who always dodges a fight. So he has to use his brain. And and I think more typically in a Wolverine story, what you're seeing is Wolverine. It's not that he isn't highly intelligent, but more often he's the brawler. Well, and, I mean, I think, I think that's the... It driven. I think that's the very interesting thing about Wolverine is that, you know, his... If you, if you look at it just from a, what can he do different than other characters uh, in fiction and especially superhero fiction, his power is that... You, you shoot him with a bullet and he keeps running and it hurts, but he he just doesn't have to stop. He yep. can take on everything. So when he has to take a step back and be less, you know, physical. aggression driven, less yeah. physical, it makes for it makes for an interesting uh, I mean, situation. Yeah, just think about that. And in, in terms of any story, I think it's compelling when a character is essentially depowered. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually necessary on any hero's journey. Uh, you know, if you look at Ursula K. Le Guin again, Ged in the Earthsea stories is this incredibly powerful wizard. He's depowered as you move through the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at Roll and the Gunslinger in the Dark Tower series. Is it is it book two? When that crab on the beach, you know, knocks off the fingers on his hand, he can't, <laughs> can't use his right dominant hand anymore. Mm-hmm. So now he only has, you know, one gun at his disposal and he's less, less accurate with it. Look at old man Hawkeye. Loses his sight. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or look at Old Man Wolverine, doesn't use his claws for the whole heart. Mm-hmm. Now speaking of speaking page. of old Old Man Hawkeye, did you do the did you do the script treatment for the uh, serious podcast Old Man Hawkeye? Not for Hawkeye. I okay, did you, the, you, the kickoff series, which is Old Man Star Lord. That's mm. uh, that's Broke right. Up, My apologies. Those 10 episodes. No, you know, old men. You know. <laughs> Listen, there's a, old there's man a thriving subculture of old man <laughs> comics, and I I appreciate that and understand I'm that. It. I've got I've got a lot of old man at heart in me, so I uh, I feel that. Uh, but you know, let's uh, let's jump into some things. You know, you've been talking about a lot just of ways. I, I don't oh, think I just, sorry, just to, to put a period on what I was saying. Instead of just an ellipsis, like right, solemn, solemn's presence in the story depowers Wolverine mm. because it makes him be head first instead of fist first. So sorry to interrupt you there. No, you're, no, you're a... <laughs> listen. They hear they hear me every week. They only hear Ben <laughs> Percy once in a blue moon. It's fine. I don't think anyone's complaining here. Uh, you know, you've been you've been talking about how you've been plotting this for a while. You know where this is ending up and. You have been seeding a lot of things since day one, you know, two plus years ago on the Xbox. Uh, it's been an interesting last little bit. I know uh, that things have not gone according to plan for a variety of reasons, some of which involving a global pandemic, the likes of which we have never seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you work through, you know, planning large complex interwoven stories and arcs when you know we don't know what the next you know few months brings as opposed to you know in the past where it's like oh yeah we got we got a couple of years and we know it's pretty much going to be solid i mean publishing's been insane the last little bit so how do you how does that change how you approach your stories well you know i'm most interested in writing comics in a novelistic fashion mm-hmm um, sure, I'd be happy to jump on, you know, uh, Absolute Carnage, Black, White, and Blood anthology and, and write out a 10-pager. I'm, I, I love doing stuff like that, too. But, but if I'm taking on a title, I guess I have an expectation that it's going to be more of a marathonic experience. Hmm. Uh, so I don't write for the five-issue arc. Mm-hmm. Graphic novel, you know, I... I try to write for the 25 to 50 issue arc. Mm-hmm. And I guess I have faith that they're going to give me enough advance notice <laughs> uh, that I'll be able to at least tighten a few things and rein them in and, and still come to a satisfactory conclusion if I'm mm-hmm. not given a full 75 issues or 50 issues or something. Though I'm right. I'm... Uh, you know, knock on wood, pretty confident that's going to happen. Um, you know, we knew from the very beginning when we sat down with Hickman that, and some things have shifted since then, but when we first sat down in that room, and this is January of 2019, I believe, uh, and there were just a few of us there at the time, you know, we knew that this was going to be, uh, this wasn't just a flash in the pan. We were, we were, we were building something foundational here. And with that in mind, right, I could do what I normally do with my novels, which is 
I tack up on the wall, you know, just to my left here, I've got a, uh, a closet and the closet was used by the former owner of this house as a dark room. He was a hobby photographer. Oh. Hmm. And so it's appropriate that the dark room is where I conjure my nightmares. You know, I have <laughs> all sorts of story ideas on the wall, characters, concepts. I have articles that are clustered together according to subject. And I have outlines. I have blueprints. Hmm. So I don't write a novel until usually about two to three years after thinking about it. Mm -hmm. first conceiving of it and when i first conceive of it i tack up a big scroll of paper on the wall and along the left hand side there are characters and overhead there's an umbrella statement about the concept you know maybe it's like the deadlands a post-apocalyptic reimagining of the lewis and clark saga or something mm -hmm. and then i have my characters and i have these 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 plot threads and these emotional arcs that i'm that i'm filling in over time and and then, you know, I usually have another scroll that I put beneath that where I'm figuring out the chapter breaks, almost like orchestrating sheet music. And and I'm doing the same thing when it comes to my comics. Hmm. You know, I have a big scroll of paper up on the wall for X-Force and I have a big scroll of paper up on the wall for Wolverine. So, mm -hmm. so Ben, what you're saying is that you create data pages. <laughs> yeah. <in a> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you think of them as, architecture yeah yeah um and you know i i just don't think you should build a cathedral skyscraper whatever you want to call it without you know a good set of plans you wouldn't you wouldn't hire a contractor who walked onto the patch of land that you had just purchased and said well i think we'll put a few screws over here maybe the toilet will go somewhere in this vicinity and I guess you probably want to sink. We'll, we'll get to that. You know, like you want somebody who's like, this is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And when I write a Bible for a series, you know, it's, it's a death thumper. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, when, whether it's for Wolverine, the long night, that podcast series that I wrote, you know, that was, mm -hmm. that was a 50 page Bible right there. Wow. Um, it, yeah. Folks, if you haven't checked that out, definitely worth a listen. A lot of fun. It's a, it's a great story about Wolverine. Uh, and digging into how he is seen in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want, if you want a Wolverine story, go check out uh, the Lost Trail, which is the sequel. Yeah, that's the sequel. That that's a Wolverine story centered on him, where the other one is about him. Both interesting takes. Yeah, you know, the first one I wanted to I wanted to make Wolverine scary again, mm. and I'm mysterious again. I felt like. As, as much as I love the comics, as much as I love the movies, I felt like he'd been in the spotlight a little too much and maybe gotten a little too cuddly. Um, <laughs> and so I wanted to put him in the shadows once more. Hmm. So that's what, what happened there. And it's kind of an unforgiven story about somebody who is, you know, retreated from the spotlight uh, because they have a poisoned history of violence and then they're drawn back into the fray. Um, yeah. Anyways, when I first got the opportunity to pitch that, I was like, that was, you know, the first time I would have been working for Marvel. That's the first time I would have been working with my favorite character in comics. And I basically the subtext of that pitch was you have to give this to me. <laughs> or else. <laughs> well, speaking of Wolverine, not being in the spotlight, um, he is going to take the spotlight in a big way. We are about to see the wrap up of Inferno. 
Uh, we're about to see the wrap up of uh, Leah Williams, the trial of Magneto. And the next big thing is uh, your 10 lives and X deaths. Um, now this has been planned for, for quite a while. Um, what do you, what would you say to pitch this to an X-Men fan who might not otherwise be a regular Wolverine reader? Well, the first thing I say, this is not just been pitched for a while. It's been pitched from the beginning. Interesting. Okay. Look at the very first page of my Wolverine run. Mm-hmm. And you see, uh, you know, the line, do you have it in front of you? I'm about to. Yeah, I'm have, about to. Technology. I'm like, oh, come on. He's going to make me, he's going to make me pull up the app. <laughs> you know, it, it says right there, um, James, Weapon X, Patch, Logan, Wolverine. It goes through, you know, some, some different locales. I'm, I'm butchering it just with my memory, but you know, you don't remember says, every page you ever wrote. Oh. <laughs> right. It's all committed to memory, but it says something along the lines of, you know, uh, Canada, New York, Madripoor, uh, Krakoa. And, and he's taking you on a tour of all those broken lives in that moment. From the very first, what's that? Son of a gun. <laughs> you nailed it. You got, you got it pretty much word and, for word. In my very first summit, uh, I pitched this idea. And the idea behind it is, you know, to get a little nerdy and literary for a second. You never. <laughs> like if you're, if you're a traveler, Time can have this weird effect on you. You know, you mm-hmm. you you start to long to seek out a place for a second time, mm. uh, and to kind of sort of go deliberately to some place that you stumbled on before. And and the reason is that you want to recapture that feeling of discovery. Um, and sometimes you know you 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 find that everything is different. You know you. The rough hewn door is still there, but it's smaller or the day's cloudy instead of sunny or it's spring instead of autumn or you're alone instead of with three pals. And and that's the mystery of repetition. And that same mystery of repetition is embedded in the very fabric of superhero comics. Mm -hmm. You go back. We go back. And we go back to what's been done before. Over and over again. And at its worst, it reads like a cover band. (laughs) And at its best, your reimagining can become the definitive experience for some. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I'm hoping to accomplish some version of this, like a definitive Wolverine experience. Um, Logan's brain has always been broken. He's been unable to properly patch together Everyone he's ever loved and killed in every decade that he's endured in every army that he's been a part of or every organization that's used him or every bottle of whiskey that he's drank or claw that's popped or mouth that's been mashed against his in a savage kiss. <laughs> it's, it's the mind wipes. It's the memory plants. It's the expanse of time. Mm-hmm. It's the century plus of living and fighting that's taken a toll on him. And he's never known, and so we've never known what was real or not. Mm-hmm. 
Now we make it real. Now we make the old known from the new. Here are all the hidden lives. The greatest Wolverine stories never told. Revisited from the vantage of Krakoa. And, you know, I tap on this at the beginning of the series, the event. And this has been previewed already in that trailer, if you happen to have seen it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a reason that I prefer analog clocks. Mm -hmm. And it's because you can see the possibility of all time at once. Time sideways, times forwards, backwards, and upside down. And that's the essence of what this event is going to do for Logan. We're getting all the Wolverines. So when you hear like the greatest Wolverine story of all time, it's leaning into that of all time because I'm not trying to dismiss or disrespect all the other fantastic creators who've come before me. I'm doing the, trying to do the opposite. I'm trying to channel that legacy and honor all of them. Yeah, not an easy thing to do, Ben. Um, and you have some fantastic artists on this series. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Josh Cassara, uh, but you also have Federico uh, Vincentini. Uh, yeah. And uh, what do you think the biggest challenge is for them in drawing this particular series? It's relentless. Okay. <laughs> you know, typically you want to give your artist a break where it's like, okay, we had a bunch of awesome stuff happening. Now, like, you know, the characters are just going to be chilling out. Yeah, a couple talking heads. <laughs> you know, Scott Snyder calls this a lob. Oh. Throwing the artist a lob. Like, just so they can, like, rest their hand. This, mm-hmm. this, this story never lets up. Yeah, wow. Um, so it's just one crazy set piece followed by another crazier set piece. Um, you know, it's it, all six cylinders are constantly blazing. Um but there's a very different quality to each of the stories. You know, the 10 lives of Wolverine, which Josh is drawing. And Josh, by the way, is a, you know, not just a collaborator, but a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really value the relationship that we have. I want to work with this guy for the rest of my life. Like such a good guy and such a killer artist. And, and he's just, elevating his work his work was already fantastic and it's just it's mind-blowingly good i'm not just you know fluffing the event i really mean that um and uh in talking to josh and he's known about this since it was barely a glimmer in my eye and we've traded ideas back and forth and you know asking like well what do you want to draw and this and that it's like we're hitting different historical eras and giving all of them like a diff- very different aesthetic and Frank Martin helps contribute to that mm-hmm. by, and Frank Martin's always doing stuff like, like this. You know, if you look at like the solemn story that I was talking about before, um, you know, just to digress briefly, every one of those had a different color scheme when mm-hmm. during the interrogations that were taking place yeah. or when Solomon was in the past, like every time a character was talking about the past and we floated, floated into it, it had a different color palette. And so he's doing that here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so Josh is, you know, a perfectionist and he goes deep into his research and watching documentaries and, and checking out books and, paintings and everything else from these time periods in order to really authenticate it. Federico is writing a story that is mostly set right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
but also has to do with the future. Mm. And Interesting. a character who will, you know, you talked about characters I've introduced that hopefully will, you know, have a lasting effect on the franchise. And Saul, you know, I, ho- I hope he, he continues to live long after I hang out my claws. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big one that's coming here is in X Deaths of Wolverine, we're introduced to somebody called Omega Wolverine. Yes. <laughs> Very and, cool. So that's, that's, a, a, that's a loaded word. Uh, yeah. Omega. That, yeah. that has that has a lot of connotations, not just with Wolverine, uh, but with a lot of the things that have been uh, talked about in, say, Inferno number three. Hmm. Uh, there's there's a bit there. There's a bit there, maybe. Uh, and and so stay tuned. And and so Federico's story and both these stories obviously come together in the same mm-hmm. way that Hawks Pox came together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Federico's story. You know, one of the things that I had really admired about his work when looking at like his uh, Falcon stuff mm-hmm. was just like kinetic energy. Mm. That guy is so, it, it's almost like this Jason Bourne quality. Like if you watch a Bourne movie, mm-hmm. that's what Federico's work reads like. Um, and so it's just breathlessly paced and, and unspooled cinematically. Um, and he has like this crazy. I don't know, uh, almost anime quality at times, mm-hmm. some of the stuff he's doing. Um, and it really leans, as, as a result of that, it just feels like a taste of the future. Like, a, not maybe not anime, like manga feel to it. Sure. You know, it feels like the future in the, in the way that he, uh, let's say that there's a convergence of worlds that happens in his story and, and a chasing unlike any I've ever written before. A chasing that lasts through many issues. Ooh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> they both bring very different qualities to the page, and mm-hmm. uh, they're both at the top of their game. That's that's exciting. I know yeah. Sar specifically has been one of my favorites. You know, there's been a lot of incredible artists, especially on the Xbox in the last couple of years. Uh Sar makes himself known amongst a lot of talent. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm so glad that he was um you know, selected and spotlighted as a stormbreaker, mm-hmm. so deserved. And you know, the dude just—he's so hard on himself. And and you should see the number of pages he erases. It kills me. <laughs> send me these videos where he like drew this amazing page and then he erases it. Oh no! And he sends me these videos I'm like, "Fuck you! Why did you do that? What are you doing? <laughs> People would kill for that." <laughs> Listen, as so, as someone who owns a scribble that he did on a Scrabble scorecard, uh, <laughs> I can I can see just how much like his mindless work compares to you know some of the best people out there doing their best. It's it's fantastic, and he's good down to the marrow too. Like not a bad bone in his body. Good, good. He's now, the anti. He's the anti beast. <laughs> <laughs> as as we all aspire to be. <laughs> Now, now, one one theme that's picked up in a lot of your work uh, is masculinity. Is it's something that it feels like it's touched on a lot, just from you know the CIA stuff, from Wolverine, from some of your stuff like Green Arrow. Is this an intentional choice on your part? You know, uh, digging into that, looking at masculinity as a concept, or is it something that's just naturally ingrained in your writing based on 
you know, how you have lived your life and have, uh, you know, grown as a person? That's an interesting question. You know, it's one that I get hit with a lot for my novels and short stories as well in the Mm -hmm. literary landscape. Uh, And, you know, like interviewers, profilers, or, or even panelists, like they'll, you know, will you be on this panel about new masculinity? Uh, like I, I don't know what that is. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know what, <laughs> what was old I'm masculinity? Gonna, I'm not going to try to. What's the old masculinity? Um, I'm not going to try to bullshit my way through it. Um, I'll just say that I recognize what uh, you know Wolverine might be struggling with at times, mm-hmm. and try to synthesize that emotionally as best I can on the page. Mm. And, and he's a guy who, right. Has, uh, suffered through a history of violence, as I mentioned before, but is seeking atonement. Yeah. You know, that's one of his defining characteristics is regret and regret is a great teacher. So, you know, I try to, I try to, when I'm writing anything, think of character first. You know, uh, yes, this is comics. Yes, we should have helicopters explode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should have indelible action sequences, of course. But the character is where I begin. Character is where I end. Um, and so I think that Wolverine is an incredibly complicated character. And I'm trying to, to mine, mine deep inside him. You know, and as for my own life, I don't know. I mean, I, I grew up in the woods, you know. My parents were, for a time, back to the landers. Um, you know, we lived off the grid, essentially, 27 acres of land outside Eugene, Oregon. Wow. My mom had a huge vegetable garden, fruit trees that we ate off. Uh, we had a chicken coop. And otherwise, the only meat that we ate, besides coming from that chicken coop, was, uh, you know, what my dad hunted, mm. which was, um, you know, venison, elk, and bear. That's why I sound like this. I grew up on a steady <laughs> diet of bear. <laughs> and, and so, I don't know, I guess that I feel uh, some commonalities to, you know, an isolated you know hermetic personality who lives in the frozen north (laughs) understandable um but we do want to talk about uh some of your literary work but um before we get to that want to ask you one quick question about two other dudes that rock um Recently in Wolverine, we saw a data page about an exchange between Black Tom Cassidy and Juggernaut, which I know for at least for me and Zach, we love this friendship, this love affair between these two characters. Um, what totally. what inspired that that little convo, and and how did it end up in Wolverine of all places? Well, just some backstory if you don't know. When we first announced. X-Force, Black Tom Cassidy was part of the promo materials. Mm-hmm. A bunch of nerds on Twitter was like, what Dracula <laughs> doing in X-Force? Right. <laughs> hey, hey, Ben, Ben, did they just get the book wrong? Because I know Dracula's a player in Wolverine of all places. <laughs> right, exactly. and, and so Josh and I just thought it was hilarious, and we 
we keep joking about it to this day. Uh, so I wanted the gag to play out. Uh, but also just when you think about Black Tom, he's, uh, we really love this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, and I don't, I don't want to say that he's completely new, you know, but I guess he's probably had the biggest remodel, the yes. biggest reno of any character. <laughs> And, There's not know, a lot of the old Black Tom around. Right. He's, he's just enjoying being a plant man. <laughs> you know what? I thought, okay, if there's a guy who is going to be tapped into Krakoa, his nervous system, essentially, and constantly have all of that information flowing through him, that was then a hybridized individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were no longer an I, but a we. And so that's why I made the decision to switch to him only referring to himself in the royal we <laughs> or as Black Tom. Because he's sort of become almost like a, an, an organ yeah. of Krakoa. And I thought this is really going to kind of wreak havoc on his brain. Mm-hmm. And he's going to become kind of vulnerable as a result of that. Like, uh, you know, a little bit wobbly and and jumpy and so you know we're gonna play that not just for laughs but but for real you know emotional kicks later um but you know the the fact that he's buddies with juggernaut i just love that strange odd couple pairing between them because juggernaut is like impenetrable right Right. he's this massive slab of a guy nothing nothing can stop the juggernaut and (laughs) And then Black Tom, by comparison, is like this, you know, jittery, like, you know, what's wrong with Black Tom? Black Tom can't think straight. There's <laughs> 10 million sensory, you know, impulses flowing through Black Tom at any moment. And so I just love the two of them together. And, and in that scene, you know, Juggernaut's like, her. Who who called the <laughs> I'll go kill him, right? It's uh, it's very good that's great. You know, I just I'm just I'm happy that they can uh they can enjoy each other's company. Yeah. Uh, now you have uh from the novel side, you have coming out uh pretty soon by the time this will air, uh the next in your comet cycle uh that yeah. started with the uh nth metal. Yeah, ninth metal. Ninth metal. Um, Excuse me. I, no, I, no, I've no. got I've got DC metal stuck on my mind and getting it all. I'm no, you know, that's not too far of a leap because one of the reasons I wanted to write this Comet Cycle, and right now it's three books, but it could be six books, it could be nine books, it could be 16 books. Wow. Right. One of the reasons that I pitched this Comet Cycle is because I've been writing for either DC or Marvel Comics since 2014. I made my debut with Detective Comics. Working with J.P. Leone, of all people. Wow. Um, and and that was in the fall of 2014. We had a two-issue Detective Comics run, and then I just sort of went all in after that with Green Arrow and then Teen Titans and Nightwing and then making the jump to Marvel with Wolverine, X-Force, now Ghost Rider. And, and these characters, I love them all, but they don't belong to me. Right. Um, and so I wanted to build a shared universe of my own. And if you look at the books, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really getting a lot of inspiration from comics, not just in terms of the subject matter and the subject matter, you know, for this new world 
is a age old sci-fi trigger event. The mm-hmm. comets come streaking through the solar system. The planet spins through the debris field. New elements are introduced to the world that upend the laws of physics and biology and geology that create chaos on the, in the geopolitical theater that, that, that makes that forms a new dawn of heroes and villains. Let's mm-hmm. say, I mean, not only is that strongly influenced by comics and I thank in the acknowledgements, a lot of the creators who came before me for their influence. Um, but it, I was also influenced by comics in terms of the shared universe of it all. And, and you can read any one of these books, even though this is book two that comes out in January, the unfamiliar garden, even though it's book two, it's a standalone book. Mm-hmm. Oh. When book three comes out next year, that's a standalone. You can read them in any order. They're a family hmm. of books, a bestiary of books, however you want to think of it. Mm-hmm. They have characters who float between them, but they're not, you know, it's like, here's, you want to read Iron Man? You want to read Thor? You want to read Wonder Woman? You want to read Batman? They're in the same universe and they speak to each other, mm-hmm. but you can also ring, read them singularly. Oh, that's cool. Um, so there's that. And it's also uh, the marketing platform and that, you know, comics come out cheap, right? right. They're $2.99, $3.99 floppies. And then they are later collected into a trade. It's like, you know, whatever. It could be 10 bucks if it's like a certain publisher. It could be 20 bucks depending on if it's another. And But anyways, it comes out as a trade. Later on, it comes out as a hardcover. Later on, it comes out as an omnibus. And those hardcover editions, they probably have bonus material. Right. right? So what that does is create this great model for cheap, wide distribution. You look at literary publishing by contrast. I just don't get it. A hardback novel costs thirty-seven dollars. Mm-hmm. That's so exclusionary. Yeah, that's not easy for somebody to just buy on a whim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at the way movies work. You know, you go to the movies, you drop seven bucks, you watch the movie. Later on, you buy the thirty-dollar director's cut DVD. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted the all these books to come out not only swiftly within six months of each other mm-hmm. to build momentum like a comics event, but also come out as paperbacks first. Because hmm. people will, I think people will take a risk on a $10 purchase. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. As opposed to like a oh, $37 hardback. I mean, if I'm hesitating to buy a $37 hardback and I'm like as insider as it gets, like what are other people thinking? Right. So come out as paperbacks later on being, you know, collected as a omnibus with like bonus short stories and illustrations even very cool very cool and we've got the second one coming out soon uh this month in december and then or january and when's the third one coming out ben well is that not announced yet it's supposed to come out in june june okay uh, all right so theoretically, I'm writing a lot there's of stuff. a lot going on in the there's world. There's a lot going on. You know, we need paper to publish books. So we'll see how that goes. Right? Yeah. Hey. Listen, <laughs> as, as, as someone whose day job heavily involves <laughs> supply chain events, yeah, yeah. there's a lot going on. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but, well, any, any of my comics nerd fans who are willing to take the leap and check out any of my novels, I, I, that, that's always meaningful to hear. Very cool. Well, good. Well, hey, we've got... We are running a bit short on time, but we do have a couple of Twitter questions we just want to throw in there. Uh, yeah. Sorry, folks, that we can't get to everything. Uh, this one comes to us from Dan Grote. Uh, says, your take on Forge is very much, what if Q from James Bond never skipped leg day? He loves it. Uh, 
What drew that is you to exactly it? right? <laughs> uh, and he asks, "Have you ever attempted to replicate his workout regimen, hot squats and all?" <laughs> well, I do have a pull-up bar right next to my desk. Uh, I have a weight bench just behind me in the other room. Um, you know, it's it's how I get my poisons out. So mm-hmm. I'm doing hot squats myself. Well, one one of those poisons uh, is a question that Nick Hayes has, and. This is a tricky question uh, because it may be completely out of whack, but what is your ideal whiskey to ice ratio? <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to say what's Wolverine's whiskey to ice ratio, uh, I would say, <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> there's probably none of the ice in there. Yeah. You think, the, you think- maybe the whiskey is just chilled by the by the snow that's falling into the glass <laughs> see i believe that but I'm, I'm not sure wolverine isn't like like doesn't want to cut the whiskey a little bit with some of the ice he's like it sits there and melts and he's fine well you know he he's got healing factors so he's not feeling getting that much he has to work hard to get a buzz that's right i don't think he listen that that's fair i just never think of him as a man of a man of taste who really needs to get all oh, of the uh he, he all drinks, of the malt out he drinks the shittiest whiskey there is oh absolutely always, always rocket whiskey <laughs> um you know i tend to i tend to pour about two fingers with an ice ice cube what's your just out of curiosity right now Listen, if I uh, if I wasn't feeling just a little bit under the weather, I've got I've got a bar cart uh, just yay yay far <laughs> over there. I uh, I feel what what's your poison out of curiosity? Whiskey cures all. Um, you should gargle with some tonight. My I mean I change it up, but you know I tend to have always like one of those giant Costco bottles of Bullet Bourbon. There we go. I really like Knob Creek quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Michter's. Uh, Micah Vila from Sci-Fi got me hooked on that stuff. Um, I like, uh, you know, I, I tend not to go too fancy except on occasion, but I do love some Four Roses. And, and yeah. I, four, four Roses is my drink of choice. Not not their highest tier stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I still have to watch my pocketbook. That in a, a Jefferson, uh, a pal of mine got me as a That's gift, the, their By the Sea bottle once and i ain't i ain't going out and picking that up for myself every week but <laughs> they're they're lower tier stuff as far as like a like a nice mid-tier bourbon fantastic yeah and this is the time of year too where you know it's been below zero with the wind chill the past few days in minnesota mm-hmm. perfect time to start a fire in the hearth and uh pour a little scotch you know this is the time of year when i started to drink darker beers and and also drink scotch and my buddy put together, he's a total whiskey snob. He's got like mm-hmm. 400 bottles. And he puts it in his wow. advent calendar. And he's not so generous that he just put it together. You know, he made it. <laughs> uh, he, he put together a scotch advent calendar. So every every evening I get two ounces of fancy stuff. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's good. That's awesome. Uh, our friend Dan McMahon of the podcast Gatecrashers, which if you guys haven't listened to, Ben was on uh, a couple weeks back. Uh, by the time this airs, I've not actually heard it yet. Dan just tells me that it's good. Uh, <laughs> he has two questions. One, he wants to know, Ben, are you still proud of him? I'm very proud of him. Because That's... he said, the reason I'm proud of him is because he's he said, you know, I, I, I never really cared about Wolverine before, but now, now I love Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, Dan is making the, the slow said, transition Dan, into Marvel. He said, Dan, I'm proud of you. 
Uh, but he he's actually asking about uh, some of your work that's going to be coming out. Uh, you know, I believe February is when the first issue is right now scheduled to come out of Ghost Rider. Yeah. Uh, asking, does Ghost Rider in his spooky mode, does he still have flesh under all the leather? Is he like a hot air balloon on account of all the hell- hellfire? <laughs> I don't want to make anything canon here, so I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. All I'm going to say, love the, I love the hot air balloon idea, though. All I'm going to say, Dan, is that if you look at the Marvel swimsuit specials from the '90s, you will get your answer That's in true. explicit detail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and then let's let's get one more. This is from a Josh Kasara. Uh, who's your favorite artist you've worked with? Name Josh. Josh. <laughs> well good, no, good. no he's he's fantastic well ben we appreciate you taking the time to talk about it uh folks if you don't already have it uh get on uh 10 lives and x deaths it sounds like it's going to be a really exciting time is there anything else you got going on ben that you want folks to uh, know about uh just you know the novels the comic. I, I guess one thing is going to be announced on thursday which is the ninth when we're recording this. Yeah, we're recording this, this super is not far air ahead, until folks. the twenty seventh. Right. Uh, so this will be out. But I've got a first movie, not that I've written, but the first movie that I've written that's been made uh, is going to be part of the Sundance premiere. Wow! So, Fantastic! Congratulations. congratulations! It's a movie called Summering. Yeah. Summering. Cool. Summering. Yeah, Summering. Like summer with an ing. And- okay, like like spent like going up to the Hamptons. I, I assume yeah, it's a very, except, very yeah, it's, just about collar. Boat, it's about people in boat shoes drinking gin. <laughs> that really, that really it's fits with that. your brand, I believe. It's a Martha Stewart yeah, movie. Yeah, I wrote it. I wrote it for my daughter. Aww. So you know, I wrote. I, I was really excited to show her a bunch of, you know, the stories that have been influential to me as a kid. Watch Stand by Me, Red or the Hobbit. Watch the Goonies, and mm-hmm. she's like, "These are cool, Dad," but like. But where are the girls? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I set out to write a, a movie for her and sort of about her age group, and you know, it's it takes place in a transitional time between not just summer and fall, but between you know the last weekend between fifth and sixth grade, like uh-huh. summer, fifth grade, and then something something dark happens that set, sets a few girls on a journey uh, where they. You know, discover some harsh truths about living. Sounds amazing. That's very cool. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's exciting. Well, folks, uh, you know, you know, always know where to find us. You can find the show. Uh, I guess you're listening to it on a pod podcast show right now. So you figured out that. <laughs> they know where we are. All the archives are at Xavier or not Xavier Frost. Shoot, we haven't had that name in a spell. Don't worry, <laughs> Adam, Adam, anything uh, you've got going on that you need the need the people to know about? No, uh, folks, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and Ben. Where can people find you online? Uh, you know, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all those horrible social media. <laughs> awesome. Happy awesome. to chat with you there. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it, uh, folks. Next week we're going to be back talking about up. Uh, the time Wolverine almost got married that one time, and then the time where he did get married, not the time he got married to Witchblade. No, uh, we already covered different, discreet Wolverine marriages. <laughs> uh, but okay. it's going to be exciting. Until then, this has been Bow the Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!